Welcome to the Positive Education Podcast with Ash Manuel. As we know, the number one hot topic in the world is mental well-being. Ash has worked with close to 1,000 organisations impacting more than a quarter of a million people, including schools, sports teams and businesses across 45 countries. Today, Ash is regarded as a global thought leader in positive education. In this podcast, you'll hear stories, information and actionable ideas from positive education and well-being experts. The purpose of the podcast is so that you take away ideas that you can execute in your classroom, across your school, at your sports club and in your organisation, plus tips and tricks that you can apply in your own life. Hi everyone, I'm Ash Manuel and today I'm talking with Shane Baker. Shane has been a teacher, a bureaucrat, a school principal, a system leader in regional Western Australia and now semi-retired but remains committed to promoting well-being with schools, leaders in schools, and in recent times, establishing an alumni of past principals that has at its central focus well-being for those that have moved on from the principal role. Welcome, Shane. Thanks for joining us. Morning, Ash. Mate, um, I really wanted to get you on the podcast. Um, we spent a bit of time together in Western Australia, um, Dale Sidebottom and myself with you early this year. and. Um, we're really fascinated by your experience um, in the education system, but been an, oh, we've got the feeling that you're an early adopter of well-being um, yeah. in school. So not only, um, I guess, uh, from the whole school, but particularly school leaders. So I really want to get into that today. But first of all, just want to find out a bit more about how you got into um, teaching. And I know that you were or still are heavily involved in the Catholic system um, in Western Australia. So yeah, where where you started and um, I guess, yeah, your journey along, along the way to where um, we find you today. Yeah, okay, Ash. Uh, and thanks for the invitation. It's um, quite exciting uh, uh, for me. And um, I, I guess my early childhood, uh, a family full of coppers, actually, my father and his two brothers and, and oh, several uncles. It was uh, something I learned very early on that I didn't want to be a copper. Um, so I was very keen on the sport. So, uh, I kind of was leaning into, uh, becoming a sports teacher, basically that kind of made sense to me. And, um, in actual fact, uh, started out in, this is a long time ago, but you'd catch buses to a place where they'd sort you out on the first day of signing up to be a teacher. Yeah. And, uh, I got the bus to the secondary teachers uh, group and, um, spent a little while, before I worked out that this is not where I wanted to be. So I eventually ended up with the primary school people and uh, primary teachers, and um, we started our training um, in, in those days. The, the first year of a teacher's college it was had been just built so yeah. in my local area, so it was um, quite friendly and uh, made sense. So, yeah. Uh, can can you just got... go back to – can you just talk – did you just say you got dropped off, like gone on a bus and got dropped off for the – what, what yes, well, well, you know, they they had a lot of people that were interested in, you know, signing up. And, and um, so you had to kind of go to an assembly area is the best way I could describe it. And yeah. um, you you caught bus A or B or C, to, depending on where, you, where, where which part of the metropolitan area you wanted to work in, uh, study in. Yeah. So uh, that's what I was saying. I got the wrong bus. It was all very overwhelming, really, and um, um, started you know, talking to like, like-minded like phys editor type people and thought, oh, this is great. 
but uh, eventually worked out, yeah, that's, I don't I don't want to be a secondary teacher. I want to be a primary school teacher. So yeah. um, then, uh, you know, that was across the way a bit. So I just made the quick dash across and joined, joined the group. And uh, it was all okay from there. But, yeah, that was the start of it. Um, it was a big day, that one. Um, probably oh, hundreds and hundreds of people and uh, uh, everyone sort of trying to work out what they were doing. Yeah, um, but it all ended up happily. And in those days, it was a three-year teachers' college thing. You, you were bonded to the education department to pay them back, you know. Yep. And uh, because they paid you during your training, it was one of those setups. And yes. Yeah. Um, I did actually about six years in the government uh, system and enjoyed all of those years actually. But I got invited back to my old school, my the school I went to as as a kid, you know, which was. Um, I was really excited about that. It was made made a lot of sense. So, uh, and that was in the Catholic system. It was um, still going these days. It's uh, now called John Twenty Third College. Yep. Uh, and they've relocated. Um, and I now have grandchildren going to John Twenty Third College. So, oh, nice, nice little segues, you know. Uh, and now, you know, picking them up occasionally from <laughs> from from the school and still kind of recognised a uh, few people around still that were teaching with me. So, yeah. Um, so then, uh, yeah, um, decided to um, have a go. I was 28 years old. Um, have a go to become a principal of, of a Catholic school, but in the country. Yep. And um, and got the job. So um, that's, pretty that's cool. a long time. So you, um, well, we don't have to say how old you are, but that, that's <laughs> obviously you're in the, um, I guess that's quite a, I mean, thinking about my situation when I started, I actually started teaching, I reckon my first year was when I was 25. I fluffed around a little bit and then, went through four years of uni to do um, primary school PE teaching. And that was my interest in the end. And I couldn't imagine myself being a principal at, in fact, probably still not even now, but at 28, um, how, how did you go in those first few years? And I guess from, I don't know, just seeing how some schools work, a young person comes in, I'm not sure the dynamics of the school, but how did you go particularly being a younger person starting out as a principal? Mm, yeah, it, it, it was challenging. Um, Ash, because it was a, a period, this is now we're talking sort of mid-80s, where um, religious orders were dropping out of leadership in schools. They just didn't have the numbers, basically. So they sort of closed ranks and started looking after their own um, orders, you know, rather than running schools. And, and yeah. a lot went into nursing, counselling, social work, that kind of thing. But um, so there were massive opportunities. And I, I wasn't the only one at that age, you know, being appointed. So, yep. um, and I remember coming into the school, it was a little small country school that um, uh, had some senior type people uh, in the school and they probably wondered what what this young bloke was all about. But, uh, you know, had a couple of young kids and, uh, you know, running assemblies where one of them would want to come up and hang off my leg or whatever. And, <laughs> you know, so they saw it saw me uh as as a family man and living in the country you you i don't know whether you've lived in the country but um it's your business as everyone else's so yeah, uh yeah. you know the school over the back fence that that kind of thing yeah absolutely um, so yeah i was ready for it um and uh you know i think i've been identified as a leader anyway through um the years i'd spent in some schools so mm. um gave it a shot probably made a lot of mistakes i mean you know it's only um, reasonable, I suppose, but um, oh, we we grew the school. That was something they used to sort of the system used to like seeing enrolments increase. So I guess that yeah. was a good thing. 
And uh, we did some buildings because the community was very interested in that sort of thing and they wanted to all help and um, Italian community, so very strong family community base to it. So yep. um, it was oh, great years and yeah, uh, absolutely. family. It was, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it any differently, you know? Yep. Yep. Can you, like reflecting back in your time as a principal, I want to get into the wellbeing um, mm. part very shortly, but what, what do you think, you, is there some, or one thing that stands out, maybe a couple of things that, was your proudest moment as a principal? Well, I suppose, um, again, given that background I, I gave you there, young young teachers, quite yeah. often their first appointment, so away from home in some cases, never left home sort of thing. And so there was a lot of, um, I, I guess, uh, looking after, um, you know, not quite 24-7, but, you know, weekends and, making sure these people were, you know, getting into some sporting clubs or, you know, some sort of way of getting into the community. So uh, it was a very um, long hours and and uh, with that in mind, try to, of course, develop good teachers. And um, uh, in, in again, in those days, you kind of taught half the day and administered the other half of the day kind of thing. So um, it was not easy, but uh, they are... Are still lifelong. In fact, just bumped into someone in the corridors the other day, one of those uh, young teachers that started out with me and now um, a system leader, you know. Mm. So uh, that, they sort of um, mean, that means something to me and yeah. um, doing something right there. Yeah, um, but no, just, I guess, um, trying to support the system, trying to do the right thing, um, money in the bank, you know, <laughs> making sure you, yeah. you're viable and uh, the school's still going, still going strong, actually. Yeah. So, is, is yeah. that a big is that a big thing in the Catholic system to make sure that you do, I guess, bring through the dollars? Obviously, schools need money, and um, I guess the department schools uh, funded by the government, and mm. then you've got Catholic schools who probably rely on fees um, and maybe donations. I'm not exactly sure, but is that a big pressure from the principal to make sure that there is money coming through in the Catholic system? Well, again, in, in the preparation, you know, to become a principal, so it touches on, on the wellbeing aspect, really, because yeah. we didn't have anything anything at all about that, looking after self or whatever. It was very much yeah. uh, learning on the job. So, yes, financially, you had to have your head around it, mm. um, you know, planning buildings, main, maintaining buildings, so all of those things that, as a classroom teacher, you just had no yeah. experience. But, <laughs> exactly. You, know, you don't have a choice, and you, I'm a pretty good learner. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. We have a school board, you know, um, governance, you know, that look after yeah. those things. It's also, I had some very, very good people over my career that um, shared the load. You know, they had expertise and mm. um, I have no problems with that, sharing the load and delegating yeah. and all that sort of thing. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, that's part of any good leader as well, isn't it? It's, um, yeah, knowing what you're good at and maybe what you're not so good at and delegating where you can. Um, and if you've got those skills, I think that's a really important quality to have and just like I guess just segueing into the well-being so when did you realize I think I mean well-being's been oh, probably the last oh, five six years even before COVID it started to come through as a really big focus and one of the number one hot topics um, not only in schools but in society in general so when did you come across and understand the importance of well-being particularly for school leaders and, and teachers as well but particularly for school leaders 
Yes, yes, that's a good question, Ash. I, I suppose um, looking back, which this uh, exercise has made me do, which is great, um, reflecting back and benefit of hindsight and all that sort of thing. But yeah. I guess as I um, my career developed, you know, I tended to move to bigger schools and, in fact, ended up um, in my last contract. We were contracted for 12 years at a, at a school or up to 12 years. Um, was a very, um, very big, um, we call them triple stream primary schools. So we're talking, you know, 800 kids and 120 staff and, you know, a big, big concern. Um, It was, I suppose, my understanding of the complexities of that that led me to, well, I call it um, self-development, but, you know, professional development for self. Um, The system offers, you know, things in leadership and curriculum and things like that. But uh, how to how to um, be a good leader and how to look after yourself were things that I had to go and source mm. myself. And we have a we have a still do wonderful condition in our contracts, which is um, called professional renewal leave. So after ten years of service, um, you can have a mo- um, three months off, basically paid yeah. leave um, to study or you know pursue uh, an interest that's going to benefit everybody. Yep which I happened to get into, and it was the world of coaching, uh, executive coaching, which in the, we're talking just the early 2000, 2012, um, wasn't really and still isn't that that big in, in Perth here. So yep. especially in schools, it's um, something that um, schools often can't afford, unfortunately. But, you know, um, I decided, uh, for example, some feedback, because I like feedback, was... I could be a better listener. Yep. And so my coach training, of course, taught me lots of things. But one of the things that they impress upon you as a coach, it's called the Pareto principle, which is 80-20. So 80% listening, 20% talking. Hmm. And as a teacher, that that's often flipped, isn't it? In, yeah. you know, in the classroom, you know, it's often flipped to be the other way around. But coaching is uh, is not. So I had to learn a new discipline, if you like. Yep, and um, decided to, you know, that kind of opened all sorts of doors to further study. I'll call it. So, I had my uh, formal qualifications. I've got um, two master's degrees in education and leadership, um, but this was about, you know, leading people and um, dealing with people and and parents and students and um, you know staff. So they they were. I thought it was something that I needed to really get into so so i did and i haven't as i um sent through to you the the topic i i sort of landed on was this idea of leading for well-being mm. it never ends so even though i finished up my last contract now three years ago i'm i find myself probably more involved in that well-being space than i ever have been yeah um uh, because i i think it's important you know yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes like in schools, there, there is that focus coming in schools where um, it's the students and then the teachers' um, well-being is the focus. But sometimes the school leaders are the ones that have forgotten. Um, and have you found that as well in your I work? Have, actually, yeah. I have, I was very um, adamant, um, and I still am when I'm working with schools, that you have to start with the staff. And often schools start with the students because, after all, that's their job, really. You know, they're student-centred, so um, they often think to do the right thing, oh, we better look after the kids. But I have that conversation with uh, schools and staff and leaders that I work with today, you know, um, around 
How much self-development have you done in, say, the last year, two years, mm. three years? And the room goes quiet. Yeah. They can talk They can talk a long time about what they're doing for kids, but yeah. I find it the same in all schools. They list reams and reams of wonderful things they're doing with students looking after their welfare and their well-being. Um, and the services, uh, my last school was uh, what we call a wraparound service. So we had childcare on site. We had health services on site. It was like mm. a one-stop shop. You know, it's a Canadian, yeah. uh, Fraser Mustard, actually, out of Canada, um, his idea. And um, so so children, you know, are well looked after. But you, you did, right? The, st- the staff kind of, uh, you know, very few people, I call it looking after themselves. So... Um, we, we got into it and uh, we call it project-based uh, management. So we had teams that were completely autonomous, reported back to me, you know, occasionally um, as part of a school improvement team. And the very big group uh, that uh, sort of emerged was the wellbeing group. Yeah. And that, that, that actually came out of um, just a team that was set up for student behaviour, looking into student behaviour. And quite often, the result of student behaviours was causing teachers. Oh, absolutely. And I have to say, I have to say parent behaviour. Yes. <laughs> causing yep, yep. teachers great grief. And I use, yeah. um, you know, the family court or, you know, marital issues that um, one or the other parents are desperate to talk to someone. So they often find mm. the teacher is yep. the one that they go and, you know, put a bit of pressure on to, mm. to do this or that or not let him or her do this or that. Too, it's too much for teachers, you know. They... they um, my philosophy around that has always been the concept of andragogy, which is, as a leader, I was there to develop staff and develop staff to be the absolute best they can be, so fully resourced, fully trained, fully ready, you know, to take on the challenges of teaching children. Yep. Um, and that was their job. So my job was working with them. Their job was working with the kids. Mm-hmm. And um, that that sort of held me in good stead, actually, that, that whole... Um, Chris uh, Argus is the the main author behind that idea of um, andragogy. So we talk about pedagogy a lot, but I talked a lot about andragogy, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. And I guess when we speak about the challenges that teachers do and often they become a, without meaning to, like a cancellor or something like that, who's who wants to, a parent, as you gave the example, who might be going through a bit of a, a custody or whatever it might be and the mm-hmm. teacher's that person. So... So what, um, I guess, the challenges that principals encounter, that staff, um, this is to directly do with principals, not so much teachers, but put yourself in, like, your, your principal, like, days. What, what, yeah. people might not, what, what do people might not realise with that staff and parents or the challenges that a principal might experience? Yes, yes, that's an easy one for me, Ash. The, that whole, I've already sort of touched on it, that whole you know, other than curriculum management and, yep. and you know, reporting and, you know, stuff that teachers and principals are really good at. Yep. It's the other stuff, the social emotional stuff. Mm. Yep. And, uh, you know, the, the I guess the school being that that service, you know, front on to, to the public, you know, a bit like nursing and, and the coppers, you know, they, yep. they, they deal with this firsthand. And um, that was something that, I don't think parents think that principals have to be very good at or have to, you know, it hardly takes any of their time, but they're not right. Um, it can take a large part of your time. Yeah. Um, and that can become quite stressful. And yes, people can become unwell and, uh, 
you know, seeking um, stress leave and things like that, the industrial court and mm. even being challenged legally and having to, uh, only happened a few times in my career, but, you know, being a witness in a case that, you know, you, you had to um, go to court and, and speak on the on behalf of someone, you know, yeah. um, things that you just didn't need, to be honest. But yeah. there's all of that, uh, that side. And I suppose um, I call it society and, and the, and their ills. So, um, for example, um, drugs, crystal meth. Uh, we now have this sort of epidemic of, you know, parents that, you know, they're they're uh, they've got some nasty habits and mm. uh, they happen to have children and yep. they happen to come to your school. Oh, yep. They can be quite unreasonable in their thinking and in what they expect. You know, so yeah, I think that side of the job has. Um, escalated you know um i still work with quite a number of principals and i just listen yeah uh that you know the, you ask them how 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 they're going and uh, 45 minutes later they stop talking yeah um there's a lot going on mm. and uh you know they need support so mm. that's kind of where um the coaching aspect has been useful for those that have taken it on they find yeah. it very um well, so, so just go. Where where do principal? I know a lot. I think that's one of the reasons why you got into what you're doing now, Shane, with your coaching, particularly um, executive or leaders mm. of schools. But maybe, as you say, like it's not um, not too many people doing what you're doing in WA, and I, I don't know about around Australia. But where do principals get help from? Like, well, yeah, it's, I don't know. That's an interesting. It's, that's a good question as well because uh, now in this um, post career, you know, um, I've been involved with our principals association as a project officer, and um, we—that's how this that role initially was was uh, introduced because we had developed and written a strategy uh, called Leading for Wellbeing yep. um, for, for uh, principals, and um, the principals association sort of underwrote it and. We had uh, a brilliant program set up using um, outside um, sources like people like yourself, uh, Nestle, based in Melbourne. Um, we had, um, you know, um, health professionals involved. Where, you know, principals can go and have a medical check if a checkup if they oh, yeah. want to. Uh, yep. Often, that's another whole story where we ignore our health and. You yep. know how many people have had a medical checkup recently? No mm -hmm. one. So that opportunity to sort of take uh, or to check in with yourself has been, um, in some cases, life saving. I, I mean that there's been a few principals that okay. discovered the, the data wasn't good and they needed to address it, and they have, and they're still with yeah. us today. But they, they is that, is that physically physical? Do you mean or mental? Like physical, no, physical fitness, cool. yeah. um, so blood pressure, and yep. you know flexibility and. Um, all you know, blood tests and the yep. whole the whole. Thing. So you got a full yep. report and yeah, um, these uh, you know obesity, you yes. know drinking too much, uh, sleep. Another mm -hmm. huge um, still is today. Uh, you know where you talk to principals about that and they're getting three hours or four hours of sleep. Uh, you know a, a night. Yeah. Um, you know major calamities that um, we're now very much aware. So that the strategy that we brought in unfortunately affected greatly by covid oh, right. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> yeah i just wrecked it really so yeah. it didn't really get a fair shot but um it what it did was raise the 
the profile of the whole wellbeing framework, if you like. And yep. uh, I've noticed that, for example, our system now has appointed some wellbeing um, consultants. Uh, yep. They never existed. Um, they're now able to um, offer more support around, I mentioned professional renewal leave. So yep. in some time out and uh, going and pursuing an interest or uh, traveling, you know, pilgrimages, that sort of thing. There's a couple oh, wow. just recently. So yep. it's a wonderful um, part of our condition in the contract, actually. Um, it, ha it has helped a lot with people coming back with a new, you know, um, fresh approach or just re-energized, you know, yeah. that's what it's designed to do. Long yeah. service leave itself, you know, again, hmm. um, was suspended during the COVID period. And so right now, uh, many principles are taking I was going to say that. To one yeah. Of the things. yeah, absolutely. So that, that's really like interesting like insights into some of the things that we might not even think about, like that principle does go through. And, and even what you said about some parents, I'm not sure... Um, if they, if some parents actually coming on school site, being on drugs or on meth, as you, you mentioned, yeah. but it's, it's not something that, oh, yeah, that's that's something that I guess comes back to the the school leader. And, and I know you mentioned earlier on about um, designing buildings and and things like that. That's another thing that comes um, back to the, the principal has a role in that. And yeah. um, the other one that um, I was think, oh, just had a mental blank. What was the other one I was thinking of that um, stood out? Oh, anyway. Not sure, but interesting you say that. I spoke to a, he's actually um, a guest on the podcast, Kevin Hill, and he's a principal of a school in regional Victoria with about five kids. And oh, he, he um, just on that, like sometimes we don't realise what principals do. He's like the gardener. He's the, he's the <laughs> maintenance man. He does like everything, like um, because they just don't have the, a school like that don't have the, um, I guess the, resources yeah to employ like those sort of things and it ends up being the principal so some of the times we forget the what does come back onto the principals as well but i think um it's really good that you've got those services available for principals but i reckon it comes down to self-awareness understanding when whether that's a teacher whether that's a principal understanding when you need to reach out for that help and also um, taking ownership of it, do something about it because they, these wonderful services might not be there, but at the end of the day, they're pretty useless unless we're not using them. Um, so I think it's, it's a two, two way thing. Like, yes, we've got to have that support set up, but you've got to utilize it and be self-aware. Okay. I'm not at my best at the moment. I need to take ownership of it and do something about it. And I think that um, it's a two way thing. It does come back to the principals um, and teachers as well. And I remember, um, Robert Hoff, who was the principal at Emmanuel Primary School where I taught, and we had a conversation one day about how he was saying that teachers um, and come in to teaching, or they've been teaching for a while, whatever it might be. But after a while, you do know what's going to, or what you're getting yourself into, basically. So you need to be responsible for your own well-being. So yes, teacher training is really important, but you got to like really delve into it and. Um, find out what works for you. Like, I mean, exercise is so big, I reckon, for our mental well-being, and um, particularly for a teacher, like, because sometimes we can be stuck in a classroom if that's where your role is, but we need to have those systems that, in our own life, that really do help us. What do you reckon about uh, that, Shane? <laughs> no, I, 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 it's just uh, sort of recurring thoughts, Asher, around 
what we were setting up in my last school, um, you know, the, the wellbeing team I mentioned earlier, the project team set up um, yoga classes. I mean, all voluntary um, yoga classes, um, meditation uh, in, during lunch times for kids as well, if they, if they were up for it. Yep. Um, several walking clubs um, mm. and things like that. So, you know, and a social club, they've been around forever, but th this, this emphasis on your own well-being, your mental fitness, not just your physical mm. fitness, is yep. something that's growing in schools. And I think leaders now are okay with this. They're, it's okay to talk to someone about this. It's okay to mention that you're not going so well. I think society's coming along there in that regard, whereas years ago it was often, especially men, you know, you, you didn't talk to anyone, you didn't mm. say how you were feeling, you just sort of put up with it, grinned and bared it sort of yeah. sort of thing. Um, you know, it was, it, it's one of my tips actually that uh, um, you, you asked me about uh, yeah. handle stress. It, it's it, what I'm learning, uh, you know, looking back is you need to start all this uh, stuff young yep. you know like early in your career not not until waiting for something to happen or waiting to go and do your medical and discover that things aren't right your blood pressure is too high or something like that something do something about your sleep patterns etc the younger the better yes um, i mentioned a bit about upskilling so you've got to be completely um it's your self-awareness you you mentioned um you know what what are, what are my deficits where can i get help with that where can i upskill Mm. Um, but it's a mental model, isn't it? Where if if you can't identify these things, then you know you won't, you just won't make any efforts to. You probably just, just try and work harder, you know, stay an extra yeah. hour after work. Um, I think another realization for me in the leadership role was that it's not about me anymore. Like <laughs> when you become a leader, it's about everyone else. Yeah. Uh, so. That means that you have to be fairly well, you know, self-aware and um, competent, you know, to to look after yourself and to know what that means. Yeah. I've got a, a I've got a fantastic quote I used to have, it, you know, sitting behind my desk. Self-care is giving the world the best of you instead of what's left of you. Mm, brilliant. And yes. I, I think uh, all of those tips I mentioned, uh, and the last one, um, I'm well known for this. I had a T-shirt made when I finished at the school with. Change is inevitable. Yeah, <laughs> you know, people, if they don't get that, uh, especially leaders, yeah, they're really going to struggle. You know, mm -hmm. um, it's you know the same day at work repeated, you know, year on year. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, that's that's a bad sign. So, yeah, uh, people can understand those those ideas. Um, I think they'll be well placed going forward. Yeah, um, to do a good job. You know, and to yeah, be, definitely mentally fit to do it and yep. and to do it again and again um, for, for a good number of years, you know, and have a, I suppose when I came to the end of my career in schools was, I was just so, I suppose, happy that I, I made it, you know, without yeah. any great, you know, dramas or, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, health issues, uh, you know, I've been, been, I was going to say lucky, but I, I looked after myself. So yes. I, um, the results yeah, absolutely. And I'll come back to that in a minute about looking after yourself. But do you think, um, I think, as you, I think you made a really good point about um, te or people in general, like picking up these good habits when they're young, particularly mm. teachers. So I think it'd be great if like universities have that as part of their, their course, because I mean, one of the big stats, I mean, I don't know what it is now, but it was like, what, 50% of teachers leave 
within the first five years of teaching in Australia, excuse me, in Australia and UK, excuse me, <coughs> and America. Um, but if we can actually teach them some skills that, and at university level when they're studying, um, they had to handle different situations and ideas about um, how they can look after themselves. I think it's a really um, important thing. So I'm not sure if that's happening in universities at the moment, but hopefully it does. And just just on that, Shane, I think we forget people like te- I mean, teachers as well, um, principals. Like, yes, there might be stresses that come up at work, but we're dealing. We've got our own lives. Sometimes we might not be at our best because we're dealing with something outside of school or outside of our work as well. So that's something to keep in in mind. And I think that comes down to a bit of empathy as well. Um, and I think sometimes like leaders, if we can have empathy um, for each other and like not jump to conclusions or jump down people's throat, be caring and empathetic. I think it's a really good leadership skill to have as well. Um, and just going back, you said like you said you were lucky to get through, but really I think you did look after yourself. What sort, what sort of things did you do as a, a leader in your when you're teaching to look after yourself, I guess to be, I don't know, your best most days. Yes, yeah. Well, I suppose uh, modelling. Um, you know, I, I was in the yoga class. I they you know people knew what my exercise regime was because it's just stuff you talk about. You know, yep. when you're having a chit chat, yeah, uh, walking in the park or walking the dog or whatever it might be. People often want to tell you what they're doing to look after themselves. Um, I mean, just just recently, I've um, taken on Pilates. You know, uh, that's the first. Um, I think I'm is you know about a hundred uh, females and about three males. So yeah. Yeah. I don't know what what's going on there, but uh, I'm enjoying Pilates. Yeah. Um, so that sort of modelling uh, people because they people look at the leader, they watch the leader carefully, um, and so often that's a good um, idea. I I have talked. To, already a little bit about um you know not iq but eq so emotional intelligence so that was another um course that i did uh, as part of an executive coaching course uh, in the states actually in san francisco lucky enough to take part in that so i'm accredited to use the, what's called the eq 2.0 you know it's a 360 survey feedback model yep. but all about the emotional intelligences so you, you're talking empathy. Uh, often people aren't aware that that's a required skill, you know, mm. and they're not sure where to start, you know, trying to exercise it. You know what I mean? So mm. yep. um, that's helped me a lot because uh, all of these services and people, I think, growing uh, are out there. Um, yeah. And it's just a matter of finding them and tapping yep. tapping into it. Um, yeah. and, and schools are doing this. They're doing a lot of development. Um, I'm involved quite a bit with schools, you know, that, PD days before the start of the year, the end of the year, whatever. Uh, And I spend quite a bit of time with staff um, trying to, I call it no self, uh, to lead others Um, because you have to. If you don't understand yourself, how can you possibly start to understand others, you know? So we have a whole lot of, uh, you know, activities, exercises and lots of fun gathering data on ourselves. And stuff that people have never really ever thought about or, yeah. you know, like a gratitude scale, you know, like, oh, okay, what's that mean, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, can I teach these skills, you know, the, yeah. the strengths, the via strength stuff and, yeah. um, you know, the um, uh, strengths-based stuff. Um, there's, there's curriculums now. You would know all this, but 
um, you know, there's no work involved. Just uh, sign up and they send you the lessons and, you know, yeah. uh, brilliant stuff uh, to help teachers because, you know, their teaching day is continually being imp imposed upon overcrowded, you know, with, with other things. Mm -hmm. um, and often they reject some of these ideas because they say, well, where do I find the time, you know, to do this? So I say, well, start with yourself, uh, understand all this yourself, and then you can start using a curriculum or something along those lines with children. Yep. Um, because if you're in an unhappy space, guess what? Yeah. <laughs> it, they pick up on that. And they, Absolutely. they, you know, you know, you're trying to teach someone to be grateful when you're not grateful. It's mm. tricky. Oh, absolutely. And I think, um, yeah, it's, you make some really interesting points. I think that sort of leads into my next question as well. And you spoke about um, a few tips. But I remember our conversation we had, um, one of our conversations we had early in the year in WA is, um, I can't remember exactly how we got on the topic or the context of the question, but I remember you saying you had a strategy that when, like, um, I can't remember exactly what the, mm -hmm. if there was a specific issue, but if a teacher continually comes to see you, like hounds you, hounds you. You had a little bit of a technique that you used to yeah. calm yourself. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. That, that's a, um, out of the coaching uh, training manual, basically um, understanding the brain yep. uh, because that's a good start uh, to understand yourself. And what you're talking about is uh, referred to as an amygdala hijack. And the amygdala is um, just sits above the brain stem, um, back of the back of the brain, um, lower left hand side. Um, so it's a, it's a gland or a part of your brain yeah. that um, what I was noticing with myself, and I um, had a coach to help me with this, or first of all identify it, and then give me some strategies. Was um, when I became um, you know involved in some you know issues some behaviors some stressful whatever was going on which happens in schools mm. um i was finding that i i was sort of feeling physically you know going red in the face kind of boiling over if you like quite quickly and so in that sort of mind mindset i i was giving probably poor advice or dismissing you know things because yeah. i was uh, not able to process or to understand the problem and so the coaching strategy that we landed on eventually after this was identified, really simple, um, breathe. So when you feel this physically happening to you, count to whatever. In my case, it was three. That's all it took, one, two, three. So instead of letting rip straight, straight off the bat, yeah. I would stop, take stock, count. And when I was ready, yeah. I would respond. So do, you so, take, um, do you mean take three breaths or count to three? Count to three. So yeah. it's basically a pause. Yeah. Pause. Um, and the other thing I remember chatting as we headed down south or coming back from down south, the, the whole feedback bit about when we ask questions, teachers often ask questions and don't leave very much time for kids to respond, you know, mm. or adults. <laughs> That's right. During uh, during presentations, you know, yeah. we ask a question, yeah. and I know there's a bit of pressure on when there's sort of silence in the room. You feel kind of as though you have to say something, and so th this gap um, is incredibly short when we start to answer our own question. And yeah. so there's another strategy around that, which involves basically breathing or counting. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to pause, yeah. and you know, you can pause for thirty seconds if you want to. Yeah. And it's very uncomfortable because you're not yes. hearing anything. 
<laughs> or you're not getting what you want to hear. So we have a tendency to, you know, give it back. You know, well, what I wanted you to say was this, um, to to sort of move on. But if we have the discipline and we do take the, the time to pause and wait, uh, like the amygdala hijack, the the body sort of regulates and comes back to you know normal, mm. and we're able to then conduct a a great conversation because we're in the mood or able to you know cope with it basically. Yeah. So yeah. Is that answering the question? Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting. I've got a very good scientific answer, a bit more than uh, Farley Forge. <laughs> is fantastic. And I remember that conversation now about the pausing because it was a bit of a bit of a joke um, during that week when um, um, you were there with Dale, side bottom myself, and Dale is the most energetic man you, you're going to meet, and he was the king of not pausing. So you get, remember, you would say, "Oh, anybody got any questions? Oh, great, let's move on." He didn't. I think it was half a second pause. Yes, it was Dale actually that uh, picked me up. Like he he'd not heard that uh, and yeah. all the explanation, you know. Um, yeah. And of course, he, he he knew it was happening, uh, yeah. but he kind of didn't know what to do about it. But yeah. the hardest yeah. thing in the world to, especially coaching, of course, is the art of asking good questions. Mm. And uh, and I mentioned the, the listening, the eighty twenty bit. Yeah, it's often in that coaching mode that uh, that's tested a lot. Yep. Uh, because you have to give people time to process and, you know, uh, formulate a possible response. It just doesn't happen as quickly as we want it to, but it doesn't mean that, you know, we have to give the answer. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, just, just on that, like, do you have, did you have a system where, um, as a, any, maybe any advice for principals as well, like, did you have an open office where teachers could come in any time or did you have a, like a, um, a certain time when teachers would book in to come and see you or how how'd you go about that with the, I guess, teacher principal relationship? Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, we had uh, a, a coaching model operating in the school. We had, um, I think in the end about 15 staff had been trained um, in the Ericsson um, principles of coaching. Oh, well, yeah. Um, yeah. We, we bought uh, the presenters over from Canada at one stage. Well, I did. Uh, as a, a bit of an initiative and uh, yep. had about seven, maybe more schools that uh, signed up. And um, so, you know, coaching, coach training occurred across some schools in the Catholic system, which was a great initiative yep. um, supported by the Catholic education office at the time. It was really appreciated. Um, but that was uh, one thing that was going on. And of course we had a pretty flat uh, leadership model. So, there were like three sub-schools, if you like, and so three assistant principals were looking yep. after sub-schools. And so they they also modelled the same thing, so they had a coaching session. Um, so regular times, uh, maybe three coaching sessions a term, that kind of idea, yep. um, chatting about whatever they want to chat about. Um, and more formal times where, you know, they, they could see my um, PA to, you know, set up a time to have a chat about something. Or yep. you know, corridor chats happened all the time um, out on out on duty, or you know, in the car park, or whatever. You know, but uh, I was very, I thought, quite approachable. There was no yeah. someone couldn't. Um, I often used to get some feedback around. Well, I came to see you, but you know, the door was closed, and so that was often you know possible between the hours of eight thirty and three thirty kind of thing. But I used to get to school quite early and stay on after school, um, you know, and make yeah. myself available. Just, yeah, often people weren't around to 
um, see that or to take advantage of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, yeah, they need to find the boss uh, uh, easily. I think that's um, a tip for me, not not making it too difficult. Yeah. Sound. Excellent. Mm. Now, mate, um, really, oh, really appreciate your uh, insights um, today. This has been a brilliant conversation. And I know that was touched on what you're doing now, but how long, um, how long have you been doing the coaching and what's it called? And tell us a bit more about that. What are you actually um, doing now? Yeah, well, I, I had, uh, I mentioned bringing um, coaches to train people in Australia from Canada. And uh, I had to set up a little business then called Impact Coaching and Consulting. And it sort of laid dormant when I was working, of course. But yeah. when I finished uh, back in 2020, um, I, I mentioned the um, facilitating the leading for wellbeing strategy with the Principals Association. That was kind of uh, one of one of my contracts. I have another uh, initiative that I, I've started, which is um, an alumni for past principals. So that's also that's part of this theme of it never ends. I'm finding that um, my contact now with past colleagues and principals um, retired, um, they're really enjoying the opportunity to meet occasionally. We do do some lunches or we have a conference dinner com- coming up in a couple of weeks. Cool. And there's three three tables of past principals coming to the conference dinner, you know. Never yeah. used to happen. Yeah. And so people tell you that, you know, it's been 20 years since they finished and they haven't seen anybody, heard anything, don't know any anyone, uh, and suddenly with the alumni, they're making these connections again and they're yep. really enjoying it. And, and of course, that's another um, whole world there as how people are going after they finish their career. Mm. Oh, it's a different conversation, isn't it? That's, that's <laughs> yeah. what with athletes, when they finish, what happens to them sometimes? They, I actually just um, finished reading a book by Dan Carter, the ex-All Black. All Black. Um, right. And in the book, he was explaining about after he finished, he didn't know what his purpose was because his purpose was to be... Um, one of the greatest All Blacks of all time. That's what drove him. But then as soon as he stopped playing, he had to reset his life. <laughs> um, so I assume that's probably similar to um, principles in a way as well. Like they've been principles for so long in many cases and then all of a sudden they stop. What do I do now? Yeah. Yes, yes. They're very used to walking into a room and it going quiet, Ash, you know. Yeah. And now when you walk into a room, it doesn't go quiet. Yeah. Uh, because you you know your role is not non-existent um you know the authority or whatever you want to you know put it put into that role um is not there um that sort of sense of belonging you know a career of working with and being with people and then suddenly because you stopped that's stopped too um mm. that's not necessarily how it should be i mean of course people follow up with some close friendships and continue on yeah. but this is talking about the wider you know the quiet ones that you know yeah. come along to lunch, and you hear you know the, you hear their story now, and um, you know many have gone on to do other things, and um, some have unfortunately become unwell, and yeah. you know they, they talk yeah. a lot about the job, of course, uh, mm. what they enjoy, what they didn't enjoy, what they do differently. So it's it's like gold, some of this stuff. So yeah, yeah. absolutely, and there be a lot of good stories as well, a lot of funny stories of totally, and... <laughs> totally, totally, yes. Yeah. We, we, the, uh, there's uh, a great story uh, that I won't go into now, but um, at one stage, uh, one of our principals put his school up for sale, uh, which, of course, you can't do. But uh, this is in a regional area and, you know, no one else was doing anything. So he was very proactive. And anyway, it all ended up happily ever oh, after. That's, funny. that's a oh. great story. It's so funny. Uh, yeah. uh, he tells it so well. But um, it's only, only come about through 
these meetings, the alumni meetings now that you hear these stories. Yeah. You can't hear all the stories all of the time, but um, with a few drinks and a bit of uh, hospitality, people, you know, they really, uh, lots of laughter, lots of yeah. hugs, lots of noise in a room. It, that's what you do notice, you know. Um, so that that's another thing that I'm involved in. Uh, I'm still facilitating um, our our three stream schools, so the big schools. There's 10 of those and we meet oh, right. each time. Um, and, you know, that's based around they, they don't have time to even facilitate these meetings. They need to have someone else do it for them. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, it's just a sign of the times, but um, that's enjoyable. Um, oh, I wrote a book uh, about the history of the Principals Association. Never thought I'd ever be doing that sort of job, but, um, you know, that was part of the project officer Brilliant. role. Uh, and just recently started to, they call it supervision, but um, in religious orders, um, now that they've um, still working or retired, um, they they kind of are looking for people. It's essentially coaching, but to have conversations uh, over a period of time to check in with them, basically, mm. making sure they're, they're going along okay, and um, that sense of purpose and um, that sort of uh, identity that you yep. lose, you know, um, yeah. once you're not the principal. So yeah, it becomes an interesting uh, piece to get it. You know, to get involved in, and uh, happy to happy to do it. So, yeah, currently it's probably a couple of days a week, Ash, that I yeah. um, work in this um, role and love it. And uh, how long for? I don't know, but you know, at the moment enjoying it and um, hopefully giving back a bit. That's another yeah. part of this whole well-being, you know, self-care thing. Is yeah, I was looked after, so I, I think it's a nice idea to try and give back. You know? mm, brilliant, mate. No, absolutely. And- Really uh, appreciate your time today, Shane, and um, yeah, your insights into um, your roles in schools, but also as a school leader and an early adopter of um, wellbeing. So really appreciate your time tonight, today, mate. Um, okay. We'll put um, uh, a bit more about you and your coaching business in the show notes. And uh, okay. thank you very much for your time today. Absolute pleasure, Ash, and good to, good to talk. Thanks, mate.